chapter 15, I, in some ways, a high point, I think, of Luke, one of the, one of the beloved sections, one of the beloved parables. This is one of those parables, I think, Michael, that no matter how many times you return to it, um, I, I won't say there's maybe something new in it every time, but there's something striking in it every time. This, this is incredibly well crafted. There's a lot of depth here. Um, there's more character development in some ways than there are in other parables. This is this is more along the line of a like a story, mm-hmm. and maybe because it's relational, because it involves a family, it's a little easier to connect to. But um, we will probably spend a couple days here in this parable, um, generally known as the parable of the prodigal son. Lately, it's also been called the prodigal of the older brother. Sometimes it's called the prodigal of the forgiving father. Uh, the loving father. It has lots of names, and I think that reflects the depth and the the breadth of the characters in it, and the development of those characters. So, um, we'll, we'll just kind of go through a couple verses at a time here, and um, like I said, we'll, we'll do our best to get as close as we can to some of the the depth and the bottom of this. But that's a that's a tall order. So let's jump in verse eleven. Then Jesus said, "There was a man who had two sons." The younger of them said to the father, give me my share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. Well, let's just maybe start there, Michael. Um, This is not really a thing. Scholars, historians point out that this isn't really a thing that would be done um, it, it's an incredible, it's an offensive, really, request. The the younger son is coming dangerously close to saying, I, I wish you were dead to his father, or at least I wish I wasn't part of this family. Also, as the younger son, he's really guaranteed no inheritance. But for whatever reason, the way the story is told, this son says to the father, give me what belongs to me. And then, of course, with all of his pockets full of money, he is um, intrigued by the distant country. And, you know, this is one of the things I like about this parable, Michael, is having preached it. There's just there's so many places to dig in. And one of them is the appeal of the distant country. And, and you get the sense. I, I think most of us grow up with some restlessness as a kid. We look outside of our hometown or our home area, and we think I, there's a better life out there if I could afford it, if I could do it. And, and here we have that. We have that sense of um, unhappiness, that son- sense of unsettledness. And we have a young man here, at least the younger man. We don't know his age, but the younger brother here uh, who, wants, who wants to get away. Says this bold, possibly offensive thing to his father, and then having gotten his request, he takes off. So, Clint, I think one of the, you know, benefits of doing a study like the way that we do it, where we slow down, is it gives us an opportunity to see some of the details and facets of a story that you might miss otherwise. Today's a classic example, because you're exactly right. I think you make the point and and you say it well, that this parable in particular is incredible at fleshing out characters and 
sharing the story of characters. And so it makes it a really compelling story. But it's really worth slowing down and not getting to that part right away so that you can see how the story is being told so well. And Luke is really recounting this in a beautiful way because the setup to the story is simple, right? You have a man, two sons, and the younger is framed as the leading character because he is the one who comes to the father. And in this culture and time and place, per your previous comment, the one who would have expectations of receiving the choice goods from the inheritance would be the older son. And so the idea that Jesus is going to begin this parable, this story, this telling, and he's going to do so with the younger being the one to initiate the conversation about inheritance with father, this would have gripped the original hearers. They would have understood that culturally, we're now talking about a thing that is way out in left field. And Jesus does this, Clint, right? Sometimes he gives parables of the sower, which is a thing that everyone can relate to, and it's about sowing seed. You know, that's a thing that everybody would have had some experience with in that time and place. Here, no one had experience with younger sons demanding inheritances from fathers. And, And so this story is being told from the very start, within the first couple words, as this out of the ordinary, out of the blue, out of the field of even possibility kind of extreme situation that this father's been put into, which is why when we get further down the road, both literally and figuratively, we're going to discover that the father and the older brother have such an important role in this parable is because of how out of field the setup for this parable really is. I think one of the things... One of the, how do I say this? One of the struggles that we sometimes have with the Bible is it often seems so foreign. Uh, the first century is so different. The Roman culture, very different. And, and sometimes it's hard to find points of connection. I think one of the things that makes this story so applicable is we all know a younger brother. Maybe we've been the younger brother. And that that person that for some reason thinks happiness lives somewhere else and they think if they could get to it life will be better there and if, through no fault of anyone's they just are restless they have that kind of spirit and we've all seen that happen and th- that person is not particularly good generally at holding on to things. And so Luke tells us he, he asked for the property. And so the father does it. And then this says so much, verse 13, a few days later. It, it is a matter of days between the receiving of his inheritance and the running off to spend it. He it it you can almost see him right. thinking, I now I'm I can go, I can go, I can go. And, and immediately, he heads for the far country, the distant country, which is always the place you think happiness lays. I, we don't know what country that is. And I think, to Luke's credit, he doesn't give it a name because, uh, again, we resonate with that idea of thinking that our happiness is someplace else. And then what happens when he's there? He squandered the property 
in dissolute living. And um, we'll find out later that dissolute living is a very cleaned up version of what this young man is doing. Um, that's sort of Bible speak for um, immorality and partying. But I, I think one of the things, Michael, that is convicting about a story like this is that for, for some of us, this brings a name to mind. Mm-hmm. And, and it might be our own name in mm-hmm. some cases. But I, I think we know, we feel like we know this person either either personally or relationally. So, Clint, this is one of the aspects of Luke's storytelling that I am just blown away by. Uh, in verse 13, look at how quickly Luke is able to portray this young man being separated from his entire inheritance. It's literally just a couple words. There, he squandered his property in dissolute living. Squandered property in dissolute living, gone. And that is the inciting action. There's very clearly some expert storytelling happening here. And what you needed to know was you have younger and older brother, father, and now you have inheritance, which should have never been asked for, given, and lost. That is the that is the necessary start of the parable. Luke has successfully done that in two verses. Right. And so now the rest of this story is all what happens next. It's literally a series of what happens next, what happens next. This, this crazy thing starts it all. And now the action following, we're going to just follow what these characters do in response to, as Luke puts it, dissolute living. What, what's the response to it? And this is what makes this so powerful. Remember the context of this parable. Remember where we've been. All of these stories of the lost things, the lost sheep, lost coin, these are images of the thing that is lost and then the celebration that is really received or found in the finding of that thing. And so here, what we start with in the story is lost property, right? The inheritance given, it is completely squandered in dissolute living. But of course, we know that this parable is much deeper than the stuff that's lost. It's about the person who was lost in the midst of this entire story. And by the way, there might be people missing, might not just be one. And and so this amazing, complex story has already been set into motion by just a, a f- couple few short sentences. Yeah. And then we do get a focus on this young man. So uh, continuing from 14 here. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the field to feed the pigs. He would have gladly filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So uh, here we find this man in dire straits. The money is gone. The party is over. The friends have disappeared. And he now finds himself in desperate need. He hires himself out. Um, again, 
Keep in mind, though, that doesn't say this explicitly in the parable. This is a parable being told by a Jewish man to Jewish people. So the idea that he's feeding pigs, that he's working with swine, an unclean animal, um, just another way that Luke says this is the bottom of the barrel for this man. And not only that, he's looking jealously at their food. He's coveting what these unclean animals are are eating. And it says here, even he would have gladly filled himself. And then there's this detail, Michael, that I think is Luke being a wonderful storyteller. No one gave him anything. So when he didn't have need at home, he wanted more and his father gave it to him. Now he's in desperate need away from home in the distant country. And no one will give him a thing. And and it's a really nice way that Luke sets up his change of circumstance. Yeah. So we go from the ask that should have never happened to the gift that should have never been received to the gift that is squandered. And I think it is interesting too, Clint, that Luke includes this detail that it wasn't just that he spent all that, but now there's a famine that take pla- takes place in the country. There's there's further action that makes his situation even worse. It's not only the choices he made himself, but it's the things that happened to him that were even outside of his control. And it's at that point that he tries to take action. It's maybe the first Besides asking his father for money, the first thing he does besides dissolute living is he tries to hire himself out to try to make some money. And of course, it is indeed in the act of feeding pigs that no Jew could have allowed themselves to do except in the absolute worst of imaginable circumstances. Whatever you think would be bottom of the barrel, this represents that to those who heard this story from Jesus's lips. And so this idea that he's longing after the most despicable creature's food, not even the creature itself, is is just a telling of how drastic this young man's situation has deteriorated. And it is, of course, the inciting action. The, the what if that flows out of this is what what would happen if I returned to the country, the last place I was given something, what would happen if I returned there? What might I receive in that place? And of course, as a reader, I mean, our our gut response to that, if we did not know this parable as well as many of us do, we would say, you get nothing. You got what you got. You got exactly what you asked for, and now you're getting the fruit of what you asked for. It's just farther down the road. And and that's exactly what this man deserves. I mean, Luke is making it clear, both through choices he's made and the choices he's not made, this young man now finds himself at the dead end of where those choices have led him, and, and those are his to deal with. Yeah, he, he has in what modern language we might call his rock bottom moment, and there's a wonderful phrase here in the gospel. It says, uh, when he came to himself, and there's a sense in which that means when he remembered who he was, when he remembered where he was from, but but when he came to himself, when he got past th- this false narrative, when he got, when he recognized the distant country as not the place that would make him different, 
but he remembered who he was. It's a, it's a beautiful phrase here. And from a preaching perspective, it's a really nice place to, to look for some spiritual truth. When he came to himself, he remembered home and he remembered the father. And he said, I will go and say, I've sinned. I will confess. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as a hired hand. So his plan now is to go back and see if his father will hire him. He's, if he's going to work for someone, he says, I'd rather work for my dad. The, the men there have plenty to eat. And he, he takes account of what he's been, and he seems willing to pay the, the price for that, the consequences of that. And so he turns for home. No longer in the context of the story. I don't want to, I don't want to over, um, dramatize this, but in the context of the story, in his mind, he turns for home no longer a son, mm-hmm. but an outsider. He goes back to the place that he was once an insider, but he doesn't believe that's still true. He believes he's now an outsider. And he hopes that there is a place there for him as a hired hand. And Clint, for the first time in the story, this character, this young man, portrays a kind of awareness of reality, right? He's received this gift. He's squandered it in dissolute living. But now here, this this language, he plans to say, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. It's true that this is a true statement. This young man has committed the sins, he's committed immorality, he's committed a great sin against his father and the asking and taking of his inheritance. And now in the midst of all of that, he now seeing himself through that right lens is going to return and ask for mercy. He's going to ask for grace, for for forgiveness. And, you know, Clint, I think one has to be careful because a text like this can move from Bible exegesis or studying the scripture, and they can move into preaching and Mm -hmm. and devotion very, very quickly. But it was intended to be open to that. And I I really think that we have to say at this point in this story that one of the reasons that this, I think, hits us so deeply is because all of us at some level know what it feels like to turn back to go home. All of the doubts and questioning and the imagining of what's going to happen when you get ready to say, I'm sorry to someone who you've hurt, or when it comes time that you have to ask uh, for forgiveness for words you've said or things you've done, and, and, and you know, I have to face the reality of this consequence, that moment is a soul-wrenching a deep and difficult moment in life. For many of us, it's a turning point. It's a it's a point in life where our choice resulted in the outcome of what we know today, both sometimes for the good and for the bad. And the reality is this young man now sits in that moment, a fulcrum of his life, and he's come to evaluate. It'd be better to be a servant for my father. Uh, I've given up sonship, but it's better to be a servant in his house than it is to be a servant in the wayward country. And so with that as the presupposition, with that as the idea that the story will turn and and we will continue asking as Luke has expertly 
asked us to ask this entire story, what next? What happens then once you've lost everything, once you're eating or when you're looking at the pig's food with envy, what will happen next if you try to go home? And and he's leading us down this road um, and surprising us at every turn. If you've never been restless and you've never been prodigal, it is perhaps easy to look at this young man and say, good, he gets what he deserved. He wasted his father's money. He squandered the dissolute living. He made poor choices. And and now he has to face the consequences of that. And, and, and that's right. It, uh, that's in the story. But, but I think what can get missed in that is an appreciation for this young man who took a path realized through hardship it was a bad path, went to work, and then mm-hmm. faced the consequences in confession and and repentance, saying, I, I realize what I've lost, but I'm going to... I mean, yeah, he's tucking his tail in and he's going home, but he's not going home to say, you yeah. know, Dad, I, w- I put me back in the big house, I... He's going back to say, can, can I be a servant? Will you hire me? And I, I think we have to be careful because of the way the parable is framed, not to, not to underappreciate the journey that this young man has taken. Um, some of us, for whatever reason, do tend to need to learn things the hard way. And and once we've learned those things, they're good things. And it's unfortunate that that some people have to have to do that, have to end up bruised in order to learn some truth. But it's better that they learn. And so we want to make sure we appreciate this young man for facing the lessons that he's brought upon himself. That's really interesting and I think helpful, Clint, and I don't want nor should we spoil tomorrow's story, but I'm going to make a a statement that we'll come back to in our discussions tomorrow. And, And that is quite simply, I think where Luke is going to bring us in the end is going to require us to ask ourselves, am I like this younger brother who's made these choices and is now facing responsibility and consequences for those choices? Or am I like the other brother, which we'll get to tomorrow? I just want to submit to you, in Luke's parable telling, it may be far superior to identify with the younger brother than the older. There's some harsh reality that lies on the other side of that fence. There's a sense in which Yes, this is not a story that any of us want to choose. None of us want to lose everything to bad choices. No no one wants to end up uh, hitting the rock bottom of our life. But yet, that is om- that is universally our experience. We all do hit rock bottom. We all do find experiences in life where we reach the end of ourselves. And the question is, what do you find there? Do you find emptiness? Do you find 
being supremely alone? Or do you find a father? Do you find someone whose love and grace and compassion exceeds what you could have ever imagined? What do you find at the end? And Luke is helping us see that that experience is something that Jesus not only knew, but that Jesus himself taught. Jesus literally is giving words to a human experience. And I I think if we're humble enough, we we will find ourselves in this story really almost at every character level. Yeah, I want to. I just want to be careful so we're not giving things away. But um, it it is if there's a sense in which Luke wants us to find a character to identify with, it is perhaps much easier to admit we are one than the other. Yep. So we'll we'll come back to that tomorrow. We hope you come back, and that we hope that you'll join us for that conversation. Certainly. Give this video a like if you found it helpful and encouraging. That does help other people find us as they are studying the Bible for themselves. Subscribe for more videos like these as we continue our daily Bible study. Until tomorrow, friends, be blessed. Mm